the airy mountain, down the rushing glen. We dare not go a-hunting, for fear of little men. Do other races exist just beyond the boundaries of humankind? Legends of their existence persist across many cultures. So, what are these creatures? Beings of myth and magic? Guardians of nature? Or malign entities from darkest folklore? Join your guides Dan Baines and Fiona Marr in their quest for the truth. And welcome to episode four of the Fairy Podcast. I'm Fiona Marr. And I'm Dan Baines. And this is going to be quite an iconic show. It's our first ever interview. But before we go and reveal who our new guest is, uh, we'll have a quick recap of the Fairy Festival. Um, this is an event held annually in North Wales, which I organise. It's the largest fairy gathering of its kind in the UK. Uh, and we had guests from France and across Europe this time. Um, and despite two horrific, severe weather warnings, because we're in a sheltered valley, we did rather well. It kind of worked in your favour. It's almost like the fairy magic channeled everybody from all around the surrounding areas directly to Langothlan for the fairy festival. Yeah. So many events had been cancelled over that weekend because we were promised 60 mile an hour winds. And a lot of people aren't actually um, insured to put up gizmo bows and stuff like that in, in such rough weather. But with the uh, pavilion, we're really lucky because we've got a huge 5,000-seater arena undercover. I mean, we do have outside stalls as well, but even so, it, it just it worked brilliantly. I had about 20 cancellations, and they were... They were stall holders who were literally couldn't get there because it was really tough weather between us and them. Mm, I mean, that's why I didn't turn up, unfortunately. I mean, where we were, the boys were at a bushcraft camp for the whole week. And it was in this campsite in this beautiful woodland. And when I picked the boys up on the Friday, they were actually evacuating <laughs> the campsite oh, because it was so wooded. It was an, it's an ancient woodland and a lot of the trees are yeah. obviously quite old. And they were so worried that branches and trees were going to fall on campers that as we were getting there to pick oh the kids goodness. up, they were evacuating the campsite. So unfortunately, yeah. you know, we woke up on the Saturday morning, the boys were completely wiped yeah. anyway, and we just looked outside and I thought, oh, Kent to Wales in no, this. No, not going to do it. No, no. no quite so, however, it all worked in your favour and that's that's the main thing. Well, there were so many local, local events cancelled. I think they all decided we need something to do and all descended on the Fairy Festival. But we, our youngest, well, apart from the odd bump, the youngest person that I think was about two months old, and we had one lady who was a hundred years old. So it literally yeah. was every generation a nice there. Spread. It was fantastic, yeah. And I'll put some photos up on on the uh, on the page on on Facebook. So all in all. It sounds like you had a fantastic fairy festival. So as I said, unfortunately, I wasn't there. So if anyone was there expecting to meet us to give us some fairy stories or some encounters, apologies for that. But I will definitely be there this year because I'm going to incorporate it into a bit of a holiday. So 
we will already be in Wales for when the fairy festival starts, so I don't have the excuse of terrible weather <laughs> to prevent us from getting there. We'll already be in the Snowdonia. We'll already be there. We'll already be Fantastic. there, and we'll make because we have to actually go through Langothlin in order to get out of Wales. It's our escape yeah, well, route. <laughs> it is. It's the gateway to Snowdonia. It is Langothlin. It, yeah, but it is our escape um, route from Wales. Um, <laughs> so when the when the locals have had enough of us, that's the place where they chase us through. <laughs> And uh, we go through there. So, and we'll all, we'll stop at the fairy festival on the way out. And as I, yeah, I'm sure it's going to be going for uh, for many years to come. Even if you move Absolutely. it to a different location, it's going to be around yeah. the area anyway. Absolutely, yes. And others popping up over the country with a bit of luck. Yeah. But uh, so our guest is the daughter is Jane Cooper, and she's the daughter of Joe Cooper, who wrote the absolute definitive book on the Cottingley Fairies. Now, I have debunked the photos in my book, The Secret of the Cottingley Fairies. And my view is, I'm not saying fairies don't exist. I'm saying the photographs weren't real. And we will go into this because I I think seriously, if you believe in fairies, then clinging on to the hope that a group of fake photographs are going to further your cause, I think it's possibly the wrong angle to be coming from. And I've always said that. But Jane's father, bless him, completely was taken in by Elsie and um, Francis, who were the two girls in the photographs. And when uh, Joe corresponded with them and he actually met them and he visited them many, many times, uh, they were elderly ladies who weren't getting on. So it's quite an interesting story. So, as I say, this this week, uh, this month, we're very, very proud to be speaking with Jane Cooper. Yeah, and as I say, we kind of met purely through coincidence, um, through a bit of a, a strange email that I received, which I think we discussed last month. Yeah. Um, and it turns out we're kind of brought together in a strange twist of fate. It is. It is so fey. And, and the other weird thing is uh, we were discussing this show, and I actually mentioned to you, I said, you know, I think that um, Joe Cooper would be very like Colin Wilson, who yes. wrote a book, um, I think it was in the 80s, called The Occult. And he was the go-to guy about sort of anything like this. And I, I Jane then sent me a clip of her father on The Big Breakfast, which was the show here in the UK, back again in the 80s. Yeah, and watching. he's talking about Colin, he's talking about Colin Wilson <laughs> on the show. Yeah. So it's been it, the synchronicity surrounding us three getting together has been extraordinary absolutely incredible yeah me and joe have a few things in common as well that he was a navigator mm. in the RAF, and i was a navigator in the royal navy um which i think is quite strange as well so he comes again comes mm. from a military background and comes from a you know an academic background as well yet still mm. has this obsession with fairies yes. uh, which is a, a yeah. theme that we did cover last month as well with men who generally older men who come from a yeah. very academic or scientific background who pursue fairies and eventually it it can have a negative effect on you um luckily mm. i'm not that old yet so the the proof is in the pudding if it's later on in life i'm going to go slightly <laughs> mad than i am already then um i'm kind of i'm kind of preempting that um, but it was strange we'll be I, keeping an eye on you dan don't yeah, worry. yeah yeah that's i'm sure <laughs> but i think what we'll do is we'll we'll take a short break and we'll come back and we'll have a chat with Jane Cooper. Have you had an encounter with the wee folk you can't explain? We'd love to hear about your experiences. 
Send your tales to stories at thefairypodcast.com. Hello and welcome back to The Fairy Podcast. And now we have our first ever interview on The Fairy Podcast. And as you, as we spoke about prior to the break, we have Jane Cooper with us, who is the daughter of Joe Cooper, who wrote probably one of the most comprehensive books on the Cottingley Fairies. So welcome to The Fairy Podcast, Jane. Thank you very much, Dan. As I say, we have given sort of a bit of a story about how our paths crossed previously. So yeah, you got me mixed up with somebody, didn't you? I, I certainly did, yeah, with a journalist who um, absolutely <laughs> distorted everything I told him and couldn't quite remember his name, Dan. And I saw your name and I sent you a little <laughs> bit of an obnoxious <laughs> email, I think, saying, how dare you? But it's strange how out there works because you know i think that is synchronicity because when we did get talking i realized you were very sympathetic towards fairies and everything yeah it is i'll I'll put it this way i wouldn't like to get on the wrong side of you oh yeah (laughs) (laughs) it was my teacher voice i think i think 20 years of being a teacher i was actually at a concert in the in the forest at the time because down here where they have like concerts in the forest i was i was just like relaxing and like watching the band and i got this texture and i looked at it and i was just like what the hell is this and it like really really (laughs) puzzled me and it puzzled me to the point that i think on the monday i actually I actually found I traced your email address and I found a number and I just had to call you because I was so yes. intrigued as to who it was <laughs> and uh, it, you know you knew straight away it wasn't the guy who of you were course. after and uh, we, yeah. we had a very nice yeah. conversation and as a result of that conversation you're now on on the show so that's a, a fantastic twist of fate brilliant which i really appreciate this is can i just thank you for giving me the opportunity to talk about my father and i guess put the record straight really can you give us can you give us a picture of, of joe cooper um, yes I, I spoke to dan and i said oh he reminded me very much of a guy called colin wilson uh who again you know people not, might not be aware of colin but i understand they were friends they were and in fact Colin wrote the introduction to Dad's fairy book and yeah he knew Colin for a long long time but uh, yeah Dad always said he would like to be remembered as a song and dance man he was an (laughs) irrepressible optimist in you know in the face of adversity he just had this amazing ability to take a singular interest in anyone he was in the company of um for starters he would sometimes look at someone and say 27th of june and be able to guess people's birthdays the next thing he'd do would be to start doing someone's numerology glyph and Mm -hmm. he was just such a warm encouraging person although he was a little bit of a marmite kind of guy yeah so well uh, 50% of the people I meet would follow me over the cliffs and 50% would maybe push me over the cliffs. <laughs> and that's something we definitely have in common as well. Yes, <laughs> yes I think we do. Um, there is also, I mean, there's a feeling that a lot of people, because of his belief in the Cottingley Fairies, they were quite scornful of him. Yeah, and he, yeah. they didn't seem to realise what a clever bloke he was. It yeah. was like, you know, they dismissed him as an idiot. He was a highly intelligent man. Okay. He was a brilliant journalist, wasn't he? Yeah, and he was also um, a member of the Scientific Medical uh, Network, 
And, you know, he during World War Two, he was a pilot and a navigator. He was an mm-hmm. academic sociologist, wrote for many, many newspapers and things. So, yeah, he, he was a clever guy. Yeah, he was a polymath, wasn't he? By yeah, the time, he sound of it, ahead of his time. One yeah. thing I, I, uh, when Dan was doing the introduction, and he was saying about how he was a navigator in the RAF and and uh, in the Navy, and your dad was a navigator in the RAF. Yeah. It reminded me of a chap called Sir Hugh Dowding. Right. Have you heard of him? He was no. an air vice marshal. And uh, he he had a lot to do with the Battle of Britain, masterminding it. Uh, But he completely believed in fairies. Wow. And a letter of his was up for sale recently. I think it was round about 2018, end of 2018. And in this letter, he says, fairies, gnomes, nature spirits in general, and I accept holus bolus, which means altogether, as to their existence. But his letter goes on to, now this is very, very interesting with what we're going to talk about. He then says, as to photographs of them, I retain a healthy scepticism unless I know all about the conditions in which the photos were produced. Yeah, very interesting. I thought that was really good. But your dad sounds like an absolute star and I would have loved to have met him. Oh, thank you. I mean, he... Thank you for that. That means a lot. And I'm sure, um, you know, we would be delighted to know that we're doing this interview today. I can almost hear him in my mind's ear saying, slow it all down. Come on, (laughs) relax. Um, and, And just going back to being a navigator, he said, look, when you've got eight men's lives depending on you, that is when you learn to keep me cool. And I think that is the thing I remember about dad. He was always calm. He very rarely lost his temper. Yeah. If at I, all. I, I should imagine some of the interviews were quite, you know, barbed, shall we say. Oh, but well, he loved to take, take on his... Uh, <laughs> I mean, one wonderful anecdote of Dad's was he was invited to do a speech at Leeds University about the existence of fairies. And at the beginning of the lecture, he said, put your hand up if you believe in fairies. And I think about eight hands went up. And at the end of his lecture, I think only five went up and he loved it. He said, "That try and play without there, then knock you down. He, was, he really loved that. You know, he had a, a fantastic sense of humour. I actually did that at a talk that I did in America. I actually started really? off with the lecture on, because it was an American audience, I said, who yeah. here believes in aliens? And nearly everyone put yes. their hands up. And then I said, yeah. well, who believes in fairies? And about three people yeah. put their hands up and they kind of half put it up because they didn't really want to extend their arms fully. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah. well, what if I told you that you know, there's a strong possibility that they're both exactly the same thing. And, you know, it was yeah. very interesting. And I think if I'd have done another show of hands at the end of the show, I may have got the same result. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so how old were you when you started being aware of what your dad was doing? Um, I think I was always aware of what dad was into. I mean, I do remember it all kicked off in the early 70s when we uh, were queuing up for a book selling Sultan, we got talking to an old woman um, who lived in Cottingley and dad had said that he'd always been interested in the fairies because Conan Doyle was one of his heroes. Mm-hmm. And it was she who put dad in touch with Elsie and Francis. So I wow. think I was about five at the time. Yet another of these weird 
coincidences because he could have stood next to anyone in that queue. Yeah, anyone at all. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Anyone at all. <laughs> it's the fairies that play it again, is, and that he said the work. <laughs> You know, cryptically, that things happen by serendipity, by the, a very tenuous thread. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, but amazing. Back to Conan Doyle. Yes. Um, you have some of Jean Doyle's letters, his widow's letters, I believe, that were sent to yeah. your father. I am still um, in the process of trying to dig these out. I have quite a lot of dad's papers. But yeah, he corresponded with Dame Jean for many years. And I think, you know, that meant a great deal to him being able to do that. Oh, that's so, wonderful. Yeah. Um, I, I, I actually mentioned to you on the phone, I was at Conan Doyle's grave yes, that about was amazing. 10, 11 years ago. And it's a steel true blade straight and everyone yeah. thinks it's all about Conan Doyle but no that is actually a tribute to his wife that's a tribute yeah. to Jean yeah. and it yeah. actually it's from a poem um I'm trying to remember it's not Robert Burns I think it's called Wife the poem yeah. and uh, I thought that was rather lovely so everyone thinks that's all about him but yeah. when I was th- there rather touchingly somebody had left a meerschaum pipe on his oh. grave yeah. <laughs> oh You've read Fiona's book on the theory that the girls may have, or it may have been possibly yes. done for financial gain. What's your view on that? Do you kind of think there's some truth to that? Um, what I actually think, I think that what was initially a prank sort of exploded into the public mm. domain and then it became very hard to admit the truth. Um you know, I, I do take on board what Fiona has said, but I think things spiralled out of control very, yeah. very quickly. Yes. And, I mean, that's, yeah. I and it's hard agree. for me to be totally objective because I was so subjectively exposed to fairies and everything. But I think, yeah, that things really it became very, very hard to admit the truth. That's what I, my sort of got. I think feeling. one thing Conan Doyle said was he did not believe, I mean, it was his own snobbery in a way. He said, yeah. I do not believe children of the artisan classes would lie to me. Yeah. Um, you know, so it was his thing that they're working class kids. How yeah. else would yeah. they be trying to bamboozle him? But I still think it was the whole family, not just them. And they got the girls to front it mm-hmm. because they wouldn't have been sued. They were too young. Yeah. Whereas the father, who I think was the real photographer, mm-hmm. he could have been. But then again, Elsie, depending on different reports, was anything between 15 and 17 when the first photos were taken. Yeah. You were you were considered an adult by then. Of course, yeah, definitely. You know? And the age gap between her and Francis, I, you know, when I went back as an adult to analyse it, I thought yeah. well, that's an interesting dynamic. Yeah, you know, that is quite an age gap if you think developmentally. Yes, um, the gap between them, and I know we have talked about this, Fiona. Yeah. To just explain a bit more about that, the age gap. And- well, the thing is, you see, again, it's down to different sources. Um, yes. Francis was anywhere between eight and ten. Mm-hmm. I've gone through the register and I, I can say she was ten when the first set of letters, uh, first set of photographs were allegedly taken in 1917. Yeah. And But the thing is, they were cousins. They lived next door to each other. Um, they were only children, which yes. was very unusual for that yeah. time. Little uh, Frances had been brought up in South Africa. Yes. And Elsie had spent four years in Canada. Exactly. With, Again, uh, very unusual. With, yeah, very, yeah. very unusual. So they, yeah. were, they were certainly were not ordinary village kids by, mm-hmm. by a long stretch. They, they'd seen much more of the world. Yeah. And also because 
because they were only children, they had spent more time in adult company. So I think they were much more sophisticated than yes. their peers. Yeah. And I think that's possibly why they would have spent so much time together, apart from the familial relationship, you mm-hmm. know, that the, the two sisters were, were living next door to each other, Elsie's mum and, and Francis's mum. Of mom. course, yeah. Yeah. So I think that was all part of it. Yes. But so, so, um, how how old were you when, well, how did Joe take it when it was revealed that the Cottingley Fairies were a hoax? I mean, uh, explain how that happened, because as I understand it, your dad was shuttling back and forth long distances. Yeah, I between, mean, wasn't one on the south coast and the other in Derbyshire or something? I think um, Elsie yeah. was in Nottingham and Francis lived oh in Margate, I think. And yes. Again, remembering, you know, this is a time before computers, yeah. uh, before mobile phones, and because Elsie and Francis weren't friends, dad was sort of going back and forth between the two sister, uh, cousins and um, I, I do remember sort of dad would write, try and write a chapter and then the other one would say, no, 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 that doesn't make any sense at all. Oh, so we goodness. were led. Yeah. Was he aware why they fell out? I don't, I don't know. I think the thing about dad, again, going back to his um, optimism, he, he was a gentleman and he was very, he sort of treated them with a lot of respect. And I think he felt they'd been pretty hard but done by um, when they were younger but mm. I, you know, they really reveled in the attention that they got from dad. Uh, he mm. used to sort of wine and dine them, take them out. And, uh, you know, by this time they were all women and it was like a revival of their youth. But yes. um, he remained, as I remember, he was uncritical. He just, you know... It's like it's like he he walked in completely naively yeah, onto the set of whatever happened to Baby Jane. Yeah, while these two are bitching about each other all exactly. the time, and hating each other. Yeah. 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 Now, is it true? Because when it was revealed, Elsie yes. did she, she sell her, her? She sold her story, did she not, to a, a newspaper or a magazine? Whilst your dad was in this process of shuttling back and forth between I them, I think yeah. I mean, it was terrible. I think it hit him really, really hard. I don't really remember him discussing it much at home. Um, he was experiencing sort of transition and upheaval in all aspects of his life. Mm. But um, you know, I think they really threw him to the wolves. And in his book, he does talk about. Uh, when he met Francis in Canterbury Cathedral, and he says, my whole world shifted a little. Oh, no. You know, so, I mean, he'd spent, the thing that I do find unforgivable is that he was led this dance for seven years. Now, when they met my dad, they should have either decided to own up to it then, or take the secret to the graves, but certainly not. No. Uh, sort of mess him around and use him. It was, I think he wanted to be their champion. I think he cast himself in that role quite gallantly um, and was unaware of the manipulation. I know that sounds hard to believe, um, you know, an intelligent academic, but they really do know. Yeah, but think about it. These are the girls who beguiled Conan Doyle as well. Yes, exactly. There's absolutely no shame in that whatsoever. You know, I mean, they absolutely played him. So it was just like tickling a trout almost. They just played him and played him and played him. And I think it was the old, um, what is it, the old traits coming to the fore again. And I think they're probably desperate for attention. Well, yes, yeah, exactly. And uh, Dad 
with his, like I said, the irrepressible optimist and yeah. enthusiasm he showed to people, he was ideal. You know, he was a perfect yeah. candidate. He wanted, he wanted to believe. This of is course. very much Conan yeah. Doyle, the yeah. same trap Conan yeah. Doyle fell into. He wanted to believe. And, and, and that, that links in really well with the parallel between uh, the loss of life in the First World War and, of yeah. course, Dad. At first hand, you know, in the RAF in the Second World War was losing friends all the time. Yeah. And I, I think possibly um, his reaction to that, I, I think he may have had some sort of, uh, well, definitely post-traumatic stress yeah. disorder yeah. from that. So he almost cultivated the opposite virtue. I do remember that his um, father, my grandfather, was in the First World War and had a pretty miserable time and was gassed. And became a pessimist. So dad sort of reacted against that by trying to be over the top and jolly. I mean, I used to say, dad, it's like you sunbathing on the Titanic saying, what iceberg? (laughs) Um, You know, but that was his his way. And this continued right until the end of his life. I mean, he had a series of strokes and mini strokes. And yeah. he'd say, well, it's the fairies. It's a fairy stroke telling me to slow down. That's Tinkerbell playing a trick on me. <laughs> fairy fella's master stroke. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember reading an interview from your mum, Shirley. Yes. And she basically said that the hoax had cost her her marriage. Yeah. Um, I was, mean, it, did, was that true? It was... Well, Partly, I mean, it was a dim, like I said, dad was in transition at that time. And the interesting thing was, um, when the marriage did break down, uh, mum said that she rang Elsie to see if dad was with her, you know, had gone there because he'd just sort of upped and left. And she said, oh, no, I haven't seen him since... uh, since we told the truth so dad had actually oh. kept that a secret for nine months bless him from his wife That's awful yeah so i think he must have had some you know he's quite disconnected from his family some sort of breakdown yeah um i mean imagine plowing all you know he, re- he took early retirement so he could dedicate himself his life to psychic research yeah and you know i can only imagine how he felt at that time really bless him i mean it, it just see it's just so tragic and yeah, it it kind of, the, the fact that he because he took himself off didn't he and just just took yeah. his wounds in, in, yeah, in definitely. nobody knew where he was yeah you know which i just think is so sad because you know to to have i don't know to to knowingly twisted mm. you know that that ah sorry i just <laughs> <laughs> really don't like these women i really yeah. don't yeah I and that's think how I... mum felt you know she really felt very strongly and again what was hard for me i remember when someone asking me um if i believed in fairies mm. and apparently i can't remember saying this but i said to mum well i don't want to hurt dad's feelings i don't know what to oh. say yes and, uh, i mean the thing well, is, what would you say now uh, what would i say now i'd say yeah 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 but I d- certainly don't believe in the phony photos. I know the film no. is very interesting, but I do remember um, all sorts of people from all over the world used to get in touch with Dad, and he was always taking film crews to Cottingley. And I remember one guy 
um, one American um, coming over in 1977 when I was a fan of playing with my Cindy dolls and taking them to Cottingley and posing them <laughs> in <laughs> trees and things. But uh, yeah, Dad really, ha- it was almost as if he had to believe there was mm. something there. You know, it was really important to him. I mean, he was a great believer in having hope that you have to have hope. Yes. I think I think people have been through a war. I think that's really true. Yeah. Um, I, I think that was true of Conan Doyle as well. Definitely. Um, in Conan Doyle's case, his father was incarcerated in what they used to call a lunatic asylum. Yes. Yeah. And he was forever drawing fairies. And mm-hmm. I think Conan Doyle's thought, thoughts were, if I can prove they exist, it will go some way to rehabilitating sure. my father's reputation. Yes. You know? um, Did... Did your dad ever ever talk about the the link, the idea that UFOs and fairies could be the same thing? Did he ever make that connection? Um, to be honest, I'm I'm not sure. I don't really. Re- I mean, he was he had a, an interest in UFOs, but I th- yeah. Um, but I can't remember him categorically stating that, that link. Yeah. Um, and and apart from the the letters from Jean Doyle, do you have any any remaining material from Joe's research? Yeah, I've got a number of original letters from his correspondence with the girls. And you uh, see, this is a book. This has got to yeah. be another well, book. Well, Mum always said that the um, the real story of the Cottingley Fairies is because is far more interesting than the fake one. Because yeah. she said, how can something that happened over sixty years ago, this was sort of in the seventies, yeah. have an imp- a direct impact now? And yeah. it was this lie, and yeah. you know. So it really did affect all of us. Well, it kind of shows you how it must have affected Conan Doyle as well. Yeah, yeah having had the same thing happen to him. Yeah, um, you know, yeah. Because because he was an absolute laughing stock when he put the pictures yeah. on the Strand magazine. Yes. He was absolutely convinced. Everybody would go, "Oh yes, that's it. It's brilliant." Yeah. You know, and it was so close to the end of the First War. Mm-hmm. He really thought that they were. I think he described them as God's messengers. That God, there is hope. Yeah, yeah. I think you know? Dad used to say something quite similar, and yeah, it is fascinating. And as well, you can imagine when Dad used to appear on television talking about the fairies. It was quite embarrassing at school, thinking, "Oh, oh you know, your Dad believes in fairies." That, my own yeah. kids, yeah. I'm oh, sort of thinking, ridicule. "Well, you know, I've been on TV and radio enough times, but luckily enough, I think." I don't know what it is nowadays. The children, well, I think they're given so many avenues to go down in terms of media that sure. they're kind of swamped with other things. I think whereas a, a number of years ago, you know, it, there was four TV channels yes. and, you know, maybe two or three radio channels where everyone got their information from. And mm. if you appeared on one of those, mm-hmm. then you were, you're, the audience was a lot larger. Whereas nowadays, you're very it's diluted down to a, a huge yeah. extent amongst all the thousands of channels out there so luckily i think i'm quite hidden yes and no one no, will you're discover. Not. my children <laughs> won't be bullied by the fact that um i've got such a strong connection with fairies yeah I th- oh, hang on you're still in the top 10 of hoaxes though remember dan <laughs> You I know? am, and uh, Cottingly Fairies is number one or number two, so I kind wow. of share the the top ten spot um, <laughs> with with Elsie and Francis. Yeah. I mean, did Joe was Joe ever aware that Elsie and Francis had a belief that they did really have fairy encounters down at the back? I, I seem to remember Dad 
claiming that, yes, they did see fairies, um, but it was almost impossible to capture them. So there was some sort of paradox here about or um, that they faked the pictures because they weren't able to actually take pictures of real fairies. Yes. Something a bit like that, yeah. you know. Um, but I think he always said, you know, the matter is very, very complex and cryptic. And I, and he, he believed in the great out there. And um, he said, you know, we can't explain it in our, you know, human beings are bound by time and the five senses and the fairies operate on a different level and there's a strong belief as well that that fifth photo the the sun bath is not one of the fake photographs did joe have sort of did he ever hold on to the fact that one of the five photographs could be real yeah or did he just dismiss them all as fake after they revealed the hoax that's what he said he said this is the world's first picture of fairies where you can see things building up and i actually do you know i i I've got my magnifying glass out and looked at that photo and it is really, really interesting. And in Dad's book, I think, again, he's sort of understating things, saying about it being a double exposure, but he believed that was a genuine picture of fairies, the fifth one. Yeah. And and as we said last time, it, the, the composition is very like Fairy Fellas Masterstroke, isn't it? Yeah. It really is, yeah. you know, yeah. the background. A lot going off. I've remembered something very important that mum said when she, because I met Elsie as a little girl. I went to, I met Elsie. So can I just tell you this anecdote? Okay. When mum only met Elsie once and and Elsie could not look my mother in the eye, which she thought was very revealing. Yes. And she was quite, uh, you know, an oddball eccentric and she had this parrot and all she did when mum was there was she had a ping pong ball that she just kept flicking towards the parrot who then kept flicking it back. Yeah, that is in that is in an article that yeah. Shirley actually wrote, your mum wrote. And right. she said she couldn't she couldn't meet her yeah. eye. Yeah. And there was just this bird and the ping pong mm. ball, which is odd behaviour really. It is. So, so you know. Apart from um obviously fairies and obviously your dad wrote another book on the paranormal yes three um, books he, all. he wrote one on telepathy uh, modern psychic experiences um and he sort of tried to apply he said no i'm scientifically i have a p- hypothesis that i'm trying to apply but i think that it wasn't really it you know it wasn't particularly scientific because no. Dad would talk about the null hypothesis or something, and he did run classes in psychic studies as well over York, well all over Yorkshire, and he wrote a column for the Guardian in their Spirit and Soul section. And as I say, he was a member of the medical and scientific network, and he had a great friend. Do you know Archie Roy? No, I haven't come from Edinburgh. Him. I think he had the Kersler chair. And he was very much interested in UFOs. So, you know, he had some good pals out there as well. And again, Colin Wilson was his mm. great pal. And did he have any personal experiences that he's ever spoken oh, about? Oh, yes, with he with did the family? indeed. Uh, as well, I was telling Fiona, on their yeah. very first date, um, actually, there are two things that happened. The first one was they actually heard the Battle of Towton. They went to York 
And mum described it. She said it was just like being at a football match. It was as if someone had turned a radio on. Wow. This noise. And then as suddenly as it began, it stopped. Bearing in mind, mum was a very down to earth, you know, was like pit her against dad. You could not have a better sort of antagonist, really. And then they saw flying saucers and they actually had to go to the Ministry of Defence and sign a statement to say they'd never talk about it which is very interesting that is that's isn't it and yes. mum I think I told you Fiona very sadly you know mum died in September and when she was in hospital she said Jane I backed him over the flying saucers but I just couldn't about the fairies she'd be saying that she'd be trying to get us ready for school and it was like having a gun against your head what do you think what do you think Shirley what do you think and whereabouts, but, uh, whereabouts did they see these, uh, the flying saucers? Are, are you allowed to divulge that information now? This was near Menston in Leeds, near a place. But Dad, oh my God, you see, Dad didn't particularly think he was psychic. You'll be interested in this one, Dan, but he told me that during the war, and I've got shivers all down my arm, that he actually went to an airbase and he described being in this room and the benevolence of, would it, will it be the wing commander or something? Mm-hmm. And then, because he was in Lincoln and Conan's being all all over the place, and he told his friend, and it didn't exist. He'd had a totally strange sort of parallel world That is strange, yeah. That's strange, yeah. I wish I had more. I think he might have recorded it somewhere. And also, he said, did I ever tell you about the time the engine got got on fire? I mean, he was incredibly brave and understated, Mm. but... He was also a little bit of a hellraiser that when he was a young buck, he got the Lancaster bomber and used it to herd up Frisian cows in a field. <laughs> and, and he also liked to take on, he was an absolute rebel and him and his pal broke into um, the office to look at their sort of records. And I think one of them said about dad, lazy wants watching. And he also, you know, he was on stage quite a lot and used to look a fantastic piano player as well. Mm-hmm. But he loved taking on, on authority. And I think part of the fairy thing, it was like two fingers to the system. It, I, I mean, for me, most teenagers rebelled. There was nothing to rebel against. My rebellion yeah. was probably, if I could try and think of how conservative can I be? How <laughs> he just encouraged me. Just, so you were like the kid uh, at the circus who ran away to become an accountant yeah yeah no no yeah. I didn't but yeah um he um but interestingly after the war he was telling me that uh, um he had all sorts of jobs he worked in a, on a fairground he worked on a farm and he hitchhiked with his friend to France at a time when you didn't people didn't really do that yeah and he, he said what he loved about being in France was he went in a cafe and they were really down on his luck his friend had nearly lost his eyes so they looked like sort of tramps and he said we, we were treated no differently and that yeah. the most humiliating thing he ever had to do was there was um, a line of English passengers and they say what what are you doing traveling without funds and him having to beg his passage home to England again but he he was certainly a colorful character and um, I've inherited 600 years worth of family history his mother was a was uh <laughs> ah, his interest began as a child i asked his sister who's still alive who's 93 wow. when dad first 
became interested in psychic things. And she said when he was six. Wow. When, when and, they went, and what happened? Yeah, well, they went, uh, unfortunately, something, this was during the Great Depression. And um, they had to go and live in Southampton. Uh, so he stayed there from six to 15. I think he had a bad time at school. The teacher used to take the mickey out of him for having a Yorkshire accent or something. Yeah. And um, Auntie Nelly, his maternal aunt, was really into spiritualism. And that's what got uh, that interested. Uh, yes. And she would have been a Victorian, wouldn't she? Yeah. Well, what? Yeah. My, my, the kids laugh at school when I say my grandparents were Victorian. And I know you yeah. mentioned in your book, phone about your grandma being a yeah. Victorian. But they can't believe it. Yeah, I can remember my, uh, gosh, she was 82 when I was born in 68. So, mm -hmm. But, yeah, life well lived. And at his funeral, I sang a song that he made up about the Bronte sisters. And I really want to write my musical about the Cottingley Fairies. I've got the title and I, I really want to do that. I think you really have got to pursue that, Jane, as well. Yeah. I think it would do very, very well. Well, the medium really would be great. And Dad... Uh, um, had various ideas and I think I can't read music but I can you know I can sing and I've got his songs written down so well. you have you have inherited his skills to some degree oh I hope so yeah hope so um so so all in all your yes. your thoughts on Cottingley are that it was a hoax but yeah that, but that apart from that there is something out there yeah definitely but you know a light dad would say fairies up all around as thick as grass that they're That's a you great know, saying isn't it and uh, his favorite saying was it's not whether you believe in fairies it's whether they believe in you i have to say i think dan and i we're believed in don't you and i think you are brilliant too, Jane. yeah yeah that definitely. could be a double Sword. Yes, of we have spoken yeah. about the yeah. uh, the double-edged sword to do with fairies it's it's we've said yeah. it's fine when you're doing everything that they want to do it's when you do uh -huh. something that they're not particularly fond of that it all oh, goes yes. a bit pear-shaped yeah it's a contract <laughs> it's a, with it's a joke trip you up. yeah that's yeah yeah it's the contract yeah, with the mafia <laughs> yeah it is rather yeah it's the kind of thing you can't exactly retire from. You've tried, haven't you, Dad? I have tried to <laughs> retire. You tried to get away and couldn't. Got you there's no again. escape. No, they there will is, track you down. There is no escape. There is no escape. And that's why I'm still here doing this. Mm. <laughs> me too, Marcus. me too. So, yeah. Well, we'd love to... It's been amazing talking to you, Jane. And you know, we'd like oh, to thank you, you for being our first thank ever thank interview you. on the Fairy Podcast. Great, my pleasure. Thank you. It's been so good. And, uh, I think you, you've actually found, dug out some recordings, I believe, and one of them you actually found this morning prior to the interview of, of Joe. Yes, amazingly. Um, Joe singing, um, and obviously he's interviewed, and then he has a song with Elsie. Yeah, with Elsie uh, in the late 70s, and it was recorded on his trusty old Grundig tape recorder. Unfortunately, as it's over 40 year, years old, the recording isn't too good. But I, I think it's great. You know, I, my heart just leapt for joy when I found it and discovered he was singing songs. So, And it's great to hear him and Elsie, Elsie the originator yeah. of all of this. A primary historical resource. I mean, yeah, without... <laughs> whom we would not be speaking 
That's yeah. quite incredible. And the first recording is um, off off the radio as well. And I understand it had a stroke at this stage. Is that correct? He had had a stroke. Yeah, he was yeah into being interviewed on Radio Four by Ray Brown for a program called Talking to Things in March uh, two thousand and five. So uh, he was also did he not work on that wonderful film um, Fairy? Well, he interestingly, Dad, I think, sold. He was a bit ripped. Dad was not interested in making money at all. (laughs) He wasn't any. I think think he sold his the rights for about two hundred quid, something like that. But he was an advisor for the film and went on location. I remember we were guests at the premiere. And he said, look, Jane, look at the happiness. He just liked people believing in it. It, it, it is a it wonderful was movie. Yes, it, yeah. it was. It really was. And also, Dad's Cottingley book was uh, translated into Japanese for the Empress of Japan. Oh, and wonderful. he never got any royalties for that. But I'm going, I do have a friend who's married to a Japanese guy. So we're going to try and work out what's happened there. <laughs> oh, but I have to say, I mean, that film, if anyone listening hasn't seen it go and yeah. listen go and watch fairy yeah. tale a true story made by the same team who made the wonderful bride's head revisited exactly which Sorry, Charles yes friend yeah yeah and he seems like a ve- i know people who've worked with them okay, when that an interesting story is when that film was released or when it came to video i'd actually left the navy at that stage and i was at university and i was working in blockbuster videos and an old guy came and he had actually taken the video out and he was very really sheepish when he handed the video over and i said oh fairy tale a good the true story this is good this is and he kind of looked at me and he went he goes well he goes i've got it purely because my mother used to tell me she used to see fairies at the bottom of the garden and this is wow. why i've got the video out <laughs> and he, it turned out that he only lived oh, at the next village along from where i went to school and i knew the exact row of houses he was Oops. talking about wow. and there is a, a strong correlation between fairy sightings around that hill and where his uh, yes. mother supposedly saw Gosh. these fairies That's and amazing. i kind of he, he spoke to me to eight for ages to the point where they had to open an extra till because people were queuing up because it was saturday <laughs> and he spoke to me for oh, ages and uh, i actually write about it in my yet to be published book but um you know and give yes. the full story but he came out with some really yeah. good first-hand or second-hand experiences of fairy sightings yeah Um, your dad would have loved those stories oh well one thing dad was so proud of was he was in vanity fair and the title of the article was real men believe in fairies (laughs) I'll oh, back that's that up. fabulous. Isn't that yeah. great? I love that tattooed yeah. on my back. Yes. I was going to say it needs to go on a T-shirt at the very oh, least. Oh, it does. Not it yeah. does. Yeah. yeah. Brilliant. Branding, yeah. yeah. Some well, merchandise. Watch out for the merch at the next fairy festival then. Yeah. Yes, I can't wait. <laughs> Lovely. Well, thank, thanks again, Jane, for taking the time to join us on I the Fairy Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, You've been brilliant. Thanks, Jane. Okay, and we'll play out we'll play out with those recordings in in honor of your dad thank you so much honestly i really ah oh, i can't thank you both enough this is just brilliant it's just flowed and i'm sure at some level dad has been part of this hasn't he, he knows he must do <laughs> he probably set it all up in the first place let's talk about talking to things you you kind of yeah. recognize the title as a useful title <clears throat> well, I have a song actually, which I 
my left hand, unfortunately. There's no places you saw in the video, I can't yeah. play the chords, but... Uh, because of the stroke? It's, yeah. So the chords perhaps will falter a bit. Okay. Mr. Robert Browning was rather fond of frowning at the tedium of the medium. And Mr. H.G. Wells said spiritism swells though the sister's fox heard peculiar notes. But in these days of psychical phenomena, it is clear that they something are becoming more common upon the line. If there's anybody there, please say. If there's anybody there, hooray! We really would appreciate a sign or two. A line or two upon the pochette we are eager to get. We would really like to hold your hand. Are you happy in your summer land? An ectoplasmic sight would surely make our night if there's anybody there. Be safe. If there's anybody there, please rap on the table, would you give a tap? If aluminium trumpets you would levitate, don't hesitate to dangle one there for a word and I would really rather like to know if you're up above or down below for those who've wandered west we wish you all the best if there's anybody there please say <clears throat> yeah well I mean uh, I believe that uh, Everybody on a different wavelength. Okay, you and I are speaking now. Yeah. Who else do you talk to, or what else do you talk to? It will be an internal process. Um, when um, I was in the Air Force, and the bloke next met me got shot, my immediate thought that came in bang like that was, wasn't me, you know. And then the thought how, how selfish this is he should be weeping over his wife and kids and so forth I have the same conviction that my time is not yet nigh my son would string and say you're tempting fate and I said no no I'm calling on the fairies for assistance I believe in prayer you see which is a major social manifestation of talking to things 
when in fact we're putting our hands together, addressing thin air and requesting thin air to write a blank check on an amount you choose. Do you, do you put your hands together? No, but I pray maybe three or four times a day, yeah. And do Brilliant. you Brilliant. consciously say, now I'm going to pray, or is it something that just happened? I have an impulse to say the Lord's Prayer, which I translate into numerology, which I translate into heavenly patterns, which is a bit obscure. I write to about this. So, yeah. I would, in my mind's eye, say the Lord's Prayer. Yeah. Our Father which art in heaven, I will be thy name. But the number one comes in, symbolized by the sun. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A very, very interesting theoretical point there. Because this means that heaven is trying to colonize earth, which is the theme of evolution to some extent. Albeit through millions of lives and conflicts and war. Last bit. <laughs> Being is not transient. Mm. Yeah. We grow mystery for verbal tools. That's right. Tennessee Williams put it very well. He said, We're all children in the vast kindergarten trying to spell God's name with the wrong alphabet box. <laughs> That's great, Joe. Yeah. Right, we're over to Joe and Elle. I mean, how, how amazing that I found this tape this morning. That says it, doesn't it? Okay, so quality is not good, but we still have it. We can get, well, I'm going to press play. <laughs> Streaming service and follow us on Facebook and YouTube.